You are listening to the Manos Accelerator podcast in partnership with Google Launchpad. We interview rockstar entrepreneurs who share their exact formulas for success in customer acquisition, growth hacking, fundraising, or scaling a company. And I'm your host, Juan Felipe Campos. Manos Nation, there is no better way for you to support the production of this podcast than by giving us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes. Let's help each other out. I will send you a list of 100 grants to fund your startup if you review the podcast on iTunes and then tag us on a social media post. Okay, it's very easy. So step one, support us by rating this podcast five stars on iTunes. Step two, tag Manos Accelerator on a social media post. And step three, I will send you a list of 100 grants for your startup. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Manos Accelerator podcast. We have a very special guest, Ms. Samara Mejia Hernandez. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Samara, so you certainly know something about venture capital that most founders don't. And we want to dive into you kind of demystifying venture capital and fundraising for our startup founders. But first of all, can you tell us in maybe 30 or 60 seconds a little bit about you, your story, and how you got here? Yeah, so it started off in Mexico, where I was born, in Cuernavaca, just an hour south of Mexico City. I came to the U.S. when I was six years old, um, and I have the traditional kind of immigrant story. My parents worked uh, two or three jobs. My grandfather was a bracero, so I come from that. Uh, and then, you know, coming to the United States, not knowing English, um, but math is a universal language, and so I learned math pretty quickly which is what got me um, into engineering. So I studied engineering at the University of Michigan and started at Goldman Sachs during the financial crisis where I sold our financial products to our clients. Um, There's nothing like doing sales during a financial crisis when products aren't performing, when clients are not happy and markets are not doing well. So uh, then I went to my get my MBA at Northwestern University, I took a class on venture capital, fell in love with early stage investing, and I joined shortly after I graduated. So I've been at Math Venture Partners now for about uh, just over four years. And when I got into venture capital, I saw the types of businesses who were getting funded, the types of founders that were getting funded. And I uh, started mentoring first women and minority founders. And I realized there's this big need to invest in um, certain industries and certain types of founders that might not have the network might not understand the language, but they have really great businesses. And so I founded I founded a company, I founded a fund called Chingona Ventures, which is, if you don't know, if you're not Mexican or know uh, Chingona, what Chingona means is means badass woman in uh, Mexican slang. So I am founding, <laughs> funding Chingon founders. I invest in pre-state stage founders that um, are in industries that are typically um, overlooked by the traditional investor. And I launched a few weeks ago. I've made two investments and three commits. So I'm aggressively, aggressively investing out of that fund as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of founders that you look for and the kind of uh, startups and business ideas that you look for? And also about just the like the thesis itself of the fund. Yeah. So 
Um, at the pre-seed stage, a lot of it is uh, focusing on the founder and the team. And obviously the idea, because it should be in a big market, I invest in high growth technology or tech-enabled businesses. Um, but I love hearing the story of the founder, of why they're doing something, the passion behind what they're doing, understanding the why. And also, I like people that hustle, right? Like how I like to see how they got their first client on board. I like to see how they, um, the background they came in, um, how they were able to launch the company, how they were able to bootstrap um, with sometimes no friends and family around. So I like to hear that story. I like to see, obviously, markets and understand what they're in. And um, I like to see the potential for, for high growth. So, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a financial model, but I like to see some early kind of um, traction in terms of customer engagement, in terms of how you're thinking about the business, whether or not you do have a financial model. And then uh, try to understand how you're bringing, how you've built a, a small team or how you're looking to, to bring the team on. Because as a founder, you have two jobs. One is to not run out of cash. And one is, and the second thing is to recruit top talent to your company. Okay, that's amazing. I love hearing from uh, different people in venture capital what the thesis is for the firm because a lot of founders they may not necessarily even know that thesis sys exist and what it is that founder what it is that VCs look for. So let's say someone's listened to this and they're like, okay, I have an amazing story. Um, there's a big passion behind this project and I can prove it. I have all of these stories about how I was able to go from zero to where we are today off of just grit, determination, and having the right um, the right work ethic. But can you tell us uh, about the the startups that you do pass on, what are the three biggest, most common reasons why you do decide to pass on an investment? Yeah, I mean, one is is uh, just outside of the thesis. So, you know, capital-intensive projects or projects in, uh, like, um, biotech or pharmaceutical stuff, like, those are things that I don't typically invest in. So you mentioned this earlier, but, um, you know, it's important for the founder to understand uh, what who they're talking to and what they invest in. So uh, the biggest thing is just outside the thesis. Um, some people send me stuff on projects like films. I'm like, no, it's, I'm, I'm investing in, in actual companies. Um, the second thing is maybe a space that it's just crowded or I'm just not interested in or, or just um, it's just so competitive um, and the business doesn't really have a different differentiation um, to them or hasn't articulated it or proven it out. And then um, I would say the third thing is just uh, the, the founder and just... Um, you know, it's interesting when you start meeting someone and you just ask questions or you kind of question a few things. Um, it's hard when you're someone saying that your baby's ugly or when they're just, you know, pushing back a little bit. And you get to see a lot of, of how founders react to that. Some founders, you know, might politely disagree and provide an alternative thesis or hypothesis, which I think is very healthy and normal. Some people will just... Uh, does not handle it well, and I just think you know, for us, every meeting should be, should we should get excited to talk in the next meeting for you know both you and me as an investor, and um, a lot of times you start seeing you know things like oh they don't answer a specific question or they don't want to share certain information, what are they hiding, right? So a lot of it is like you don't have a lot of information, and so it's important to build a really good relationship with the founder early on because this is going to be for the long term. 
Definitely. And I love hearing that from you. I, I want to make sure that we include this in the episode that there's this misconception for founders whenever they first start fundraising that money is money is money is money. And they don't necessarily realize that there is money for, like you're saying, for film projects, for startup projects, for AI projects, for ML. You know, there's all of these different theses for the funds. And whenever you're investing in as early of a stage as you are, you're looking at things like character and the opportunity of this company to actually expand and be something very, very big. Um, there's it's not late enough yet to invest in the company itself because there is no company at the stage that you're coming in. So if it's relevant and if they have the right character, then it gives you the ability to actually deep dive more into like, okay, I, I already like how you're handling things. I like the way that you handle the objections and everything. Let's talk more about the company. So something else that I do want to include here and I do want to ask you is how you handle, is especially given the like even the name right Chingona Ventures, you must see like what we see too here in Silicon Valley being in a Latino uh, focused accelerator that we want to e- expand and focus on the Latinx founders. But a lot of founders that listen to this podcast are internationals and they're rock star founders. They're crushing it in their home countries and their ecosystems are not as developed yet to get the kind of capital that they need to actually turn their company into something really big. So they need money to grow and they look towards the US to do this, right? They're going to come to the US and raise venture capital. So what I see a lot happen is people come here for like a month with the expectation that they'll just hustle a lot, knock on a lot of doors, raise the money, and then be able to scale. Surely you must have some advice for them. What would you do in that position? If you're thinking about coming to the US and raising venture capital, what is something that you wish that international founders knew before they committed the $20,000 investment it takes to come here three times and try to make something big happen like that? Yeah, no, that's great because, so first of all, so with my fund, I don't only invest in Latino founders, I actually invest in all types of founders. I just understand that there are certain types of founders that have different experiences with fundraising in terms of unconscious bias or lack of network. So I look at all types of founders. Um, But Chingona Ventures was just, you know, one of those things that when you have that name, you do naturally get a lot of Latino founders, which is nice too. But um, in terms of international, it is different. And I've heard a lot of people that uh, have difficulties raising money. And even if they do raise money, there's this challenge of like, are they going to be able to stay? Are they, be able to, are they going to be able to get a visa and things like that? There's funds like Unshackled Ventures that invest in immigrant founders. And I don't know if you've had them on, but... They've yeah, been yeah, great. Of yeah, you know them very well. Good, good. And so we've actually co-invested in a deal. Um, they're they're great, but that's part of the challenge is that investors are going to see you know and ask if you're going to be able to stay. And so there's a lot of challenges there. What I would say is that um, a big thing for for me and for funds that I've worked with is is just being incorporated in the United States. So for instance, um, you know a lot of funds don't mind investing in companies that have a presence overseas or have gotten an initial traction overseas, but they want to know that you're incorporated in the United States because it's just easier from a transaction perspective, from a, just understanding that you are going to at least have an office out here. So I would say that that's probably one of the things that you should consider if you're out here and um, do that almost immediately. That way, as you're talking to investors, you can get a, a sense, you can, that objection, you can kind of get past that and then move on to the business. Um, but there are a lot of big funds like Sequoia that are building a presence in Latin America as well. So I would say come here, get a pulse on the market, get incorporated, but um, understand that there's a lot of big players who are proactively investing out there. Um, and so 
paying attention to those and trying to build connections there. But also I would say a lot of accelerators like Techstars or like some 500 startups have a presence in Latin America. And so whether it's coming here or whether it's you know going through the accelerators where you're from, that's also a great way to build out a network of U.S. investors that could invest in, in Latin America as well. Love that. And actually, I just remembered a point that I wanted to mention earlier, and that is that if you're a founder and you're listening to this and you're getting a sense that Wait, wait a second. This sounds a lot like features. Like, like basically, Samara is looking for like features in my company. It's it's because that is the case. The moment that you start fundraising, your VCs are not going to be clients of your product necessarily. Uh, they they may like the product. They may uh, refer it to to friends. But they're actually what they're buying is a piece of the company itself, not being clients of of the product that it is that you're selling. So it's really important that you understand and you dis- distinguish, uh, especially early, early, early on. I see a lot of early stage startup founders that are like, look at this feature, look at this feature, look at everything that my product can do. It's like, guys, I'm, I'm not even looking at the features of the product. I have totally different features that I'm looking at the company. Do you have traction? What is the founding team like? Are you guys incorporated? It's totally different uh, features and you are selling a different product than the product itself the moment that you start fundraising. So that's something that I think is uh, important enough to include in this episode uh, as we hear how Samara thinks about investing in a startup, it's totally different features than when you're actually selling a product. And I would just add on to that is that you know sometimes people come in here and pitch and just talk a lot about features of the product, but they don't talk about the why, you know, why that's important to their end consumer, right? And so for me, it's always understanding, I want people that are obsessed with their customers and trying to constantly understand and reiterate what's important to them, why they're buying the product, what they're solving for, especially at the early stages. And so that's really important as well. Right. Did you build it just because you could, or did you build it because you already had people knocking down your door saying, we're desperately needing this next thing? Awesome. Before we continue with the episode, you should know about this. We recently partnered with Brex, the smart credit card for founders to finance and boost their startups. Everything about Brex is made for startup and e-commerce founders just like you. The card scales with you and gives you up to 20 times higher credit limits than any competing card. And for listeners of this podcast, benefit from our partnership and get $5,000 in AWS credits plus absolutely no card fees for life by activating your account through our partnership link. It's brex.com slash monos. Brex, B-R-E-X dot com slash monos, M-A-N-O-S, to get all of your fees waived for life and $5,000 in AWS credits. Now on to the episode. Tamara, as you invest in different startups, what is your definition of a good investment for your firm, both at the, at the beginning, what, what would you consider a good investment right at the beginning, and also in terms of outcome? What is the expectation on uh, a return for a tech startup that you invest in? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we're we're as a traditional venture fund, you need to make money on a lot of money on on um, you know your investments. And if you look at a portfolio of ten companies, what a typical venture fund looks like is that out of ten companies, seven will fail, two will give you the money back that you invested in, and one will make the fund. And so, if you talk to traditional you know investors, you'll see that every investment that they make has to have the potential to be say a hundred x. Um, but um, you know, having a four x net return to your investors is pretty good, uh, which is saying a lot, right, in itself. And so, I think it's important for founders to understand this because you could have a really great business in a small market, uh, or you could be generating really, you know, like a couple hundred thousand in revenue, but it's not high growth. It's maybe a lifestyle business. And that's totally okay, but for an investor, 
you need to have a high growth business. You need to have a show a path to getting to this exponential growth in revenue and then show a path to getting to an exit because ultimately that's how everyone's going to make money. And so when you understand that, then you're able to pitch your story in a different way. Um, one, saying this is the problem, this is the solution and spending you know 20% of your time on that. But ultimately, here's the future. This is how we're growing and scaling. These are the partnerships that we're building. This is how we're thinking about our revenue targets. And also being realistic about it, right? So some people come in and say, all right, I have 10,000 in, rev- in monthly revenue and then next year we're going to get to 50 million in annual revenue and we're like, okay, calm down. <laughs> you know, it's good that you're aggressive, but let's think about a bottoms up approach to getting there. And so I think that's also really important because if you're not realistic with your numbers, you also can, can find investors that will, you'll lose credibility in, your, in the conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah, like surely you must know not know that much about the industry if you're thinking about growth in those terms that are just totally not anchored on on reality. It's just uh, numbers on a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for for general partners of funds, we we raise money too, right? So we also have to prove to our investors that we're making good investments. That um, we have to pr- prove why we make these investments and why we think that this this investment is going to be a huge exit for us. And so it's just um, it's not only for us, but it's also for us to, to kind of prove to our, our investors as well. So many golden nuggets here. Uh, VCs are stewards of someone else's money, so they have to be really good stewards of that and have to make investments that actually make sense. And if you listen to the specific numbers that Samara was sharing with us, if someone invests, let's say they have a $100 million fund and they invest $2 million in your startup for 10% equity, they need to believe that by exit, you will have grown so much that that $2 million is potentially worth $100 million. It needs to return the entire fund. So if if it was $2 million for 10% of your company, then for it to be worth $100 million, you need to have grown 50x in the duration, let's say that four to seven year period. So it's really, really aggressive growth. And like Samara said, it has to actually be anchored on the reality of that industry. So that they need to believe that the market is growing even big enough to support that, that it's so not saturated that there is still room uh, of opportunity for someone to grow that much. So lots of great golden nuggets on this episode. I hope, especially if you're an early stage founder, that you're taking a lot of notes here. And let's say someone wants to learn more about um, the industry and they want to, they're listening to this and they're like, wow, I really wish that I knew as much as Samara knows about VC. What are resources that you could recommend for founders, like podcasts or books or courses or anything that you can say, if you want to get literate about VC, here's where I can point you to. Yeah, so not to go, not to uh, talk about a competing podcast, but uh, the 20 Minute VC is really great. Yes. So um, they have a ton of founders as well as investors that talk about how they look at investing um, or founders that talk about how they raise capital. So, and it's 20 to 30 minutes. I usually hear that um, when I'm at the gym or on the way to work. And so that's a great way to just get. Um, just starting to understand how people think about investing and how build, and how people think about building their businesses. Brad Feld also has a book called Venture Deals. It's uh, something that's just an easy read. I mean, something that you should read anyways. And a lot of his blogs do talk about liquidation preference, talk about anti-dilution clauses, like all sorts of things that are on term sheets that you guys could um, take a look at. There's... Um, I. I I read uh, daily blogs from Fred Wilson. They're really simple and uh, really quick. I think that's a, that's a simple blog people can subscribe to. There's Strictly VC that talk about a lot of financing rounds that are happening. 
there's term sheets, that's um, a newsletter. There's a ton, actually. Um, but the biggest ones, I would say, would be the 20-Minute VC and then the Venture Deals book by Brad Feld. Amazing. Yeah, and Venture Deals is kind of considered like the Bible of, of VC. If you haven't read the book yet, please uh, pick it up. It's going to help you a lot understand the, the ecosystem, how it all works. Okay, Manos Nation, do not forget my offer to help each other out. I'll send you a list of 100 grants to fund your startup. All you have to do is leave a five-star rating on iTunes and then tag Manos Accelerator on a social media post. Again, leave a five-star review on iTunes and then tag Manos Accelerator on social media to receive a list of 100 grants to help you fund your startup. See you on the next one. Samara, thank you for coming on the show. As you continue to grow and take your career forward, where is the best place for people to stay in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so definitely on Twitter. So my Twitter is at Samara M. Hernandez without the E uh, before the Z. <laughs> that might be hard to remember. Or, or just um, uh, just you can reach me at Samara at Chingona.Ventures. I try to respond to all emails. And um, you can just look up Chingona Ventures. I have a landing page right now. I just launched, so I'm looking for a logo if anybody has any ideas. Um, <laughs> my investments aren't even on there. But, you know, I think I think um, I, I, I try to stay connected. I'm in Chicago, but I'm building relationships with investors all over the United States. Um, you know, so, and I always appreciate people reaching out to me, even if I can't invest. I do try to help in whatever way I can, especially those in the Latino community and those that are in the United States and trying to build really great businesses and just that don't have access to certain networks. I um, have spent you know my whole time in venture capital advising companies on these topics and providing feedback and doing you know calls on the weekends and after hours and just helping them with you know negotiating term sheets. Uh, and that's the whole thesis of my fund is like, okay, now these people, like, they're great. They, they like help and, and advice, but they need capital. So let me get this capital and um, to these hands and to these really great businesses that can grow and scale. So um, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, on, um, on email. I'm always happy to help. There you have it, Manos Nation. Samara, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of this with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate what you guys are doing, and this is the only way we can get our our community to uh, you know build really great businesses and bring wealth back into it. Thanks. That's right. Thank you. <laughs>